Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. Uh, we ask that you would open it up to us this morning. We ask that you'd guide us, Lord, as we think about what it means to be a church and a community. Um, we pray that you would um, continue to teach us, Lord, the depths of the riches of your word, because we can mine it forever and still find beautiful, uh, incredible things that we'd never noticed before. Please lead us, Lord, in this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so, a little bit of review. Uh, we've been talking about community and church and community. So the basic principle, the basic thing we're trying to get at is what does it mean to be a community? Uh, when I first got here, um, when I, I think it was candidating, it was something that I heard multiple times from multiple people like, well, we need to build up our community or what do you think about community and how do we do all this stuff? Um, so I thought, okay, well, maybe that's a good Sunday school. Um, so we're trying to get to the point where we can, where we can say and talk about ourselves as a church um, and, and be frank about ourselves. Um, where do we go wrong? How can we improve? What is a community supposed to look like? Do we match up? You know, what's the, what are we trying to do? What are we even trying to achieve? What's our, our purpose? Um, things like that. But before we can start to fully unpack ourselves as a church and, and how we can grow in community, um, I think we're still building some foundational stuff. We're still talking about um, some foundational things, but we're, we're starting to get closer because we've been talking about, we started talking about the church broadly. Right, what is the church broadly? We talked about the, the invisible church or the church broadly being all the elect of God from all places and from all times. Um, and then the local church is the local manifestation of that broad church, right? The broad universal church, all saints, all the elect from all times and all places. The local church is the visible manifestation of that broad church in this place, in this time. Um, and so the local church, as we've said, is imperfect. Um, we're not complete uh, in two senses. The first sense is that uh, there are uh, weeds among the tear, weeds among the wheat, um, goats among the sheep. The church is not uh, pure. There are some who are not, um, who, who claim faith, claim Jesus Christ, but are, are not true elect. Um, but we're not told to, to think in those categories of trying to evaluate, well, which one of us is the wheat? Which one's the, the weed? Um, that's not the right attitude either, because God calls us in and says, now that you're in, here's the goal, right? To become more like Jesus. Uh, now that we're in the church, our goal is to become more like Jesus because the other sense, and we're, we're not perfect, is we are not fully mature. We're not mature yet. Um, Paul says that in Ephesians, I, I believe it's Ephesians, where he says we're still striving to the full maturity uh, of Jesus Christ, that we're still moving forward towards what that, uh, to be more like Jesus. And then we started talking about some of the fundamental philosophies of the world uh, and how they compare and contrast with the fundamental philosophy of the Bible um, as regards to community. Um, so the, there, there are three basic orientations. Two of them are from the world. One of them is from Scripture. Um, do you remember what the, what the two fundamental, ideological, philosophical, how many other words can I think of? Um, what are those two basic uh, ideologies that the world has? It tilts one way or the other. G? Yeah, individualism and collectivism. Right. And what's the, what's the biblical model? Does the Bible, is the Bible 
teach us individualism? Does the Bible teach us collectivism? Or does it teach us something else? Maddie? Yeah, covenantalism, biblical covenantalism. So in the world, you're either individualistic or you're collectivistic. Is you have to have something at the center of society. You have to have something at the center of community. There has to be some highest good, and it's either going to be the individual or it's going to be the collective. It's going to be the whole. Um, biblical covenantalism is the answer to both of those, right? because as we've seen, both of those lead in bad ways. Right? And individualism leads to essentially um, relativistic morality. It's whatever, do whatever is good in your own eyes. And collectivism leads to tyranny, right? It, it leads to statism, with the state as outside of the collective have, has all the power to tell the collective what to do, right? And they get to do whatever they want, essentially. Um, biblical covenantalism doesn't do either of those things. Right? Biblical covenantalism realizes that we are separate people. We're not the same. We are all individuals. We look different. We talk different. We may even think different or have different opinions. We like different foods. We, we come to church wearing different clothes. We're not the same. And yet, the Bible says we're one. So that's what covenantalism teaches us, is that we are many parts, but one body. And so we've, we've said that there's a few principles. Um, there's, there's four principles um, of covenantalism that we, we laid out as the foundation. Um, what's the, do you remember what those principles are? What are the principles, foundational stuff of covenantalism? Matthew? Right. Yeah, you are in a covenant with God one way or another you have one covenantal mediator one way or another, and you're either in the covenant with God through Adam as your representative, or you're in a covenant with God through Christ as your representative. Those are the only two options. And if you're in Adam, you're dead. And if you're in Christ, you're alive. What's the, what's the second principle? What do covenants do? What do they create? Someone said something. Communities. communities. Covenants create communities. So if you're in Adam, that is that, that covenant with Adam or through Adam to God creates a community. And if you're in Christ and you're in that covenant with Christ, that creates a community as well. And you can't have separate, you can't have uh, overlap. Right? There is no overflow. It's not like you can be in both. Uh, Jesus says that if you're in Christ, there is no such thing as friendship with the world. Or you can't have covenants in the same way that you can with other believers. You can have relationships. You can have friendships with unbelievers, but there is no friendship with the world. Right? That means that this, these communities cannot mix. They're oil and water. Um, and you're, the covenant you're in creates the community you're in. Now, what's the third principle? Right. Your identity comes from your covenant community. So your identity, who you are, and your relationship, your standing before God, come from your covenant community. So if you're in Adam, you're dead. That's your identity. 
It means you have a sin nature. You are dead before God. You're, in, you're guilty before the Lord. That is your standing. That is your identity. And if you're in Christ, it's a completely different identity that God has given you. It's a transformed identity. We are new creations in Christ. That means that our identity is not something that we decide. I don't get to decide what my identity is. And neither does my identity get to be imposed upon me from the collective. Right? I don't get, the, the collective has no right to coerce me to have a certain identity. Um, they're going to try. They're going to try really hard because that's what collectives do. Um, but they can't because identity has to be created through the covenant community, which means that if I'm an Adam, I can't change that. I can't change my identity. But if I'm in Christ, I can't change that. I can't change that identity. Um, and the fourth principle is that our ultimate authority, the, the highest good, the center of society, the center of our community, is God and God and his word. Because God is our authority, and scripture is the revealed will of God, the complete, full, revealed will of God. Everything that we need is in the Bible. So this is our highest standard. This is the center of what is good and what's not. Right? I don't get to decide what's good. The collective does not get to decide what's good. The church does not get to decide what's good. The Bible gets to decide that. And we all have to submit to it. Because God is our ultimate authority. So these are the foundational principles of biblical covenantalism. And so as we... John? Yeah. So a mediator is someone who is in covenant and represents others. So in the, in the covenant of works, there are two parties, God and Adam. And all of Adam's posterity, all of his children, are in Adam. Same thing with the covenant of grace. There's two parties. There's God and there's Jesus Christ. And all the elect are in Jesus Christ. And so they are the mediators. They represent. Whatever happens to the mediator happens to the people he's representing. So when Adam fails and falls and dies, death comes to all men because all died in Adam. It's, he is the representative. Whatever happens to him happens to us, likewise with Christ. So whichever covenant you're in, you're under a mediator. You're under a head. Whatever he did is yours. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's, there is, there is a sort of room for that when you talk about Christ because he is the mediator between God and men. He reconciles us. Um, he stands between us and God and takes the wrath of God. But in the strict covenantal sense, it's not, that's not quite what we're talking about. So, we're trying to, so now we're going to move. We talked about individualism. We talked about collectivism. So now we're moving to covenantal membership. Um, in other words, we're going to talk about this, this thing called biblical covenantalism, which it's, maybe it sounds too fancy. All I mean is, what does the Bible teach us to think about ourselves and our community? Um, and the Bible teaches us to think in terms of the covenant. And so as we start to talk about this idea of the covenant, a good place to start, I think, is in membership in the covenant and how that applies to church membership. Um, and we talked last week about this, uh, about 
this idea of church membership, can it come from individualism, can it come from collectivism? Um, so it, church membership in, in the way that we're talking about it doesn't really flow from individualism because individualism requires us to kind of have a free-floating association with churches because you need the ability to up and leave as soon as it no longer serves you, right? There's, there, to commit yourself to a certain place that might one day make you feel bad is not, it doesn't, they don't go together, right? If you're the highest good, if individualism is true and you're the highest good and your desires are the highest good, then you're going to pick and choose a church based upon how you feel and how the church makes you feel and what you want out of that church. Um, collectivism can produce the idea of church membership. In fact, it does. In fact, membership is really important to collectivism. Um, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, why is membership so important? And, what, and what's different about Roman Catholic Church membership than how we would do it? Because remember, the Roman Catholic Church is a collectivist church. Do you remember what the, the profession of faith, the Roman Catholic profession of faith is? Hey. You said that um, in that profession of faith that, that you had to assent to believing all that the, that the church says and not just has said, but will say. Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Roman Catholic profession of faith goes like this. I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims to be revealed by God. So what's at the center? It's the collective. It's the, the Roman Catholic Church is the center. Whatever they say God says, you believe that. You must. You, that's what you're saying when you become a member. Um, it's... it's that's just not, yeah, Matthew? I was going to ask, and that's different from what we say when we subscribe to membership. We say that we believe all things taught by this local church. That's different because we're not assenting to whatever the church, if the church changes its position, we don't have to agree to that. I mean, is that, can you explain that? Sure. So when you take vows in the OPC, you, believe, you, you profess to believe everything the Bible says. Do you accept the Bible as the, as the word of God? Right, and I agree, but it, doesn't it also say, as taught by this church? John? I think he's thinking of the uh, Westminster Confession. So that's Because it is both. I mean, you could read that. I don't have the vows in front of me. Um, actually, I do. My electric, <laughs> my electric book. Um, so in our vows, we say, do you believe the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Full stop. I'm looking at the vows, and no, we do not have that in our vows. Um, 
I think you are, you are thinking of probably something in the confession, possibly, where our confession of faith right, says that this is the summary of the doctrine of scripture, right? But it's not, when you, when you come to vow and church membership vows, make those, those church membership vows, you don't say, I agree to the Westminster Confession of Faith, or I agree to Reformation or the OPC. You say, the Bible. Okay, I saw a couple of hands. Um, Charlie? In a sense, but even in that passage you read, it said there's no ordinary. Right? There's no ordinary salvation. What, what that means is the Roman Catholic Church says there isn't salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. And Protestants say there's no ordinary salvation outside of the local visible church. Yeah, ordinary possibility. Yeah, ordinary possibility. It, that does not mean that it can't happen. But that the normal course of action the normal way that God does things is through his church. But that doesn't mean it's, it's completely exclusive. And the Roman Catholic Church does not agree with that. It is exclusive. It is RCC or nothing. Um, you have to believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims. And that means that if they change the doctrine, right, you, you go along with it and you say, yes, good stuff, Pope, <laughs> whatever you say. Um, and, we, and we say, whatever the Bible says. Now, obviously we have to interpret the Bible, but we're still saying, whatever the Bible says, I have to accept. That's, that's where our standard is. Um, and so that's what we require in our membership vows. Um, so let's, let's, let's clear it up a little bit. Um, when I'm talking about church membership, what I'm talking about is membership in the covenant. So church membership is, is another way of talking about membership in the covenant. Um, so as you think through scripture, what does it mean to be a member of the covenant? To be a member of God's covenant people. John? Yes. So you, you're saying that the Old Covenant did not require belief? No. No. I, what I'm saying is it required 
I'm confused what you're, what distinction you're trying to make. They are different, but they are the same substance. The, they're the same substance of the covenant of grace, just differently administered. So there's, there's different wrapping paper, but the, what's inside is the same. Right? God says, circumcise your hearts. Right? And, and the same is true of the new covenant. Right? You could be in the old covenant and not be actually Israel. You could be the son of Abraham and not be the son of Abraham at the same time. And the same is true in the new covenant. You can be in the new covenant and yet not be of Christ. Right? There'll be many who say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to you, I never knew you. Um, so what, what we're trying to push at is, throughout scripture, this is essentially the same thing. Like membership in the covenant has different stuff on the outside, but it, the, the essence is still the same. That the substance is the same because the covenant was never really different. There was never, the substance was never changed. Um, that's our confession. So, what, what does it mean to be a member of the covenant? Charlie? Are you, are, so, So, in the substance, you're right. But how does Scripture teach us to view this? Does, scripture does talk in terms of election and who's elect, and the elect will not fall away. But when it talks about the covenant, Scripture talks in visible terms. So, Paul says in Romans 11, where you, were by, you were cut from once by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Uh, and, and he goes on to say, right, if God cut off the, the natural branches, how much more will he quickly cut off you, the grafted-in branches, if you follow that's their same pattern? His, his point is, you were brought into the covenant. And you were brought in because Israel was cut off from the covenant. They were separated from the covenant and cast out of the covenant. And God brought the Gentiles in. And then Paul says, you have to hold your position here with fear and trembling because if you follow the same pattern of unbelief as Israel, God will cut you out of the covenant too. So the Bible is talking in very visible covenantal terms. If you're in the covenant, right, you, are, you are grafted into this tree. You are connected to it in a very real way. And you can be cut off from that tree just as easily. So there, the, the point being, to be a member of the covenant means you are brought into the visible community of God's people. You are grafted into the tree, and you're brought in through the sacrament of, of initi initiation. Charlie?
So I didn't say obedience. Right? You're not, you don't stand by your obedience in the sense of my good works. But Hebrew says, don't harden your hearts like Israel did. Right? The, Right, but the, the harden your hearts means lack of faith. It's unbelief. And the flip side of that is belief. Right? Faith. Faith is the instrument. Faith is, faith is the instrument by which we are fully, truly united to Christ, not just in the, in the covenant, but in the substance. Because all of Christ's work, all of his atoning work and redeeming work is applied by the instrument of faith, which means that you can be in the covenant, and truly grafted into the tree, and truly be numbered among God's people, and, but without faith, you are not receiving the benefits of Christ's work. And you will be cut off. Yeah, you can be grafted in to the covenant, and, and connected to the, the root, and yet be dead. Be a dead tree. How, how, it, how does what happen? How are you grafted in without faith? You can be... Visibly. You, you, are, you are brought in through the sacrament of initiation, right? baptism, profession of faith. You are, you are brought into the visible community of God's people by your profession, by your baptism, uh, and you're, you're brought in. And yet, the, the command of Scripture is still, don't, like, don't follow Israel where they fell away because of lack of belief. Right? Don't harden your hearts. You need to hold this with fear and trembling, lest you also be cut off. Right? It, Paul's not saying you can lose your salvation. He's not saying that because we know that's not true. No, because because just because you're in the covenant doesn't mean you're saved. Right? You can be. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can be in the covenant and yet not be saved, not, not elect, not going to heaven, because you are not actually members of Israel, the true Israel. Right? Paul says in Romans, not all Israel was Israel. Circumcise your hearts. Not all the sons of Abraham are sons of Abraham in truth, because the Pharisees thought they were, and yet they had no faith. So just your, your visible link to God is not enough to save you. You have to have faith or you are not saved. However, that doesn't mean that there is no real realness to actually being in the covenant. Paul is saying you can be grafted in and yet then be cut off. He's not saying you can be saved and then unsaved. He's saying you can be in the visible covenant, you can be in covenant with God, and yet and, and connected to that tree, and yet cut off from that tree and thrown away and burned. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will be received. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Okay. Multiple things. I, th I think I saw Steve's hands first. Wouldn't you agree that a profession of faith has nothing to do with the inclusion of the covenant? It's simply the divine Yes. And that's why, you know, that, that's the distinction between being part of the, the number of God's covenant people 
and unbelief. Yeah, absolutely. But there's still a profession of faith required for baptism. It's just the parents' profession. Right? We don't baptize anybody. We baptize the infants of believers. And believers have professed faith. Right? When someone professes faith and they haven't been baptized before, they profess faith and are baptized. And then their children are baptized. But there's still a profession of faith happening. Otherwise, we would just go out and baptize random people. Boom, now you're a member of the covenant. No, it, it, there's still faith and a profession of faith that's still required, even for the sacrament of baptism. It's just, is it, is it my personal when I'm an adult, or is it my parents when I'm a baby? Right, to be among the people of God, God says, I bring in all the, those who profess faith. The visible church is all those who profess faith and their children. He says, you're not, you're not theirs, you're not the world's, you're mine. Yes. Matthew. The only tweak I would say is that we can call our kids Christian, but the charge is that it not be in name only. Right? We charge our kids that you're brought in, you're part of God's covenant people, but if you don't stay in, if you don't believe, right, it's just a name and it doesn't do anything for you. And then in fact, it's actually, a, like, like Steve said, it can be a judgment. Baptism without faith is a mark against you. Uh, that means that if you're a child of the covenant and you fall away, it's worse. Um, Hebrews makes that point. I think it's, uh, I forget which chapter it is, seven or eight or nine or 10 or three or two. Um, but there's, it's, it's worse. It's retrampling on Christ to have grown up in it and then to cast it all away. Um, so I, I really appreciate all the questions and engagement. Are there any other questions or, or things to clear up on that? We can keep talking about this, and if you have more questions, I'm always willing to talk more about it. Um, what we're trying to, to push at is that this covenantal membership doesn't mean you're saved, but it's real, and you can be in the covenant and have this real, be in this real community. Um, remember, covenants create communities. And so those communities are, are real, and they have visible manifestations. They're, they're tangible. They exist. Our church exists. Our, the covenant people of God exists and is visible. And you can be brought into that visible community of God, that visible uh, people of God, um, through the sacrament of initiation, right? Through baptism. It's the same thing in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you are brought into the people of God um, through circumcision. In fact, you could not... Follow God, you could not partake of the Passover, you couldn't worship the Lord and remain uncircumcised. You had to have that sacrament. And if you were in, born in the covenant, 
and you weren't circumcised, uh, God says in, in, in Genesis 17, I think, that if you don't circumcise your kid or if you're not circumcised, you have actually broken the covenant and you're to be cut off and cast out. That this is so important that you have, must be in the covenant and circumcise your children and continue uh, in this covenant. Um, so in order to be partaking of, of the fellowship of the community, you had to be joining the visible administration of the covenant uh, in order to worship the Lord, partake of the covenant meal uh, in the old covenant. Same is true of baptism, uh, that we must be baptized. And so uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. Right? We are baptized into this body. That baptism brings us into the covenant, uh, the, the, the covenant people of God. Um, or Westminster Confession of Faith 28. Baptism is the sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only, but including the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church. Baptism, one of the things it does is this is the solemn admission of that party into the visible church. Brittany? Is there, um, is there two, two covenants? The covenant that establishes the invisible community and a covenant that establishes the visible community? Or is there one covenant with two types of members? So like true members and false members? That's a good question. So... There is one covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace was made between God and his son Jesus and all the elect in Jesus. And that covenant is administered in history through various ways. So it's, it's made visible in history through various administrations of it. One of them was the Mosaic. It was an administration of the covenant of grace. It was one of the ways that the covenant of grace was made visible in this world. And there were people who were part of it in the visible way, but who actually did not receive the benefits of Christ's work. Same is true in the New Covenant era. The New Covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. That same covenant of grace that existed in the Old Covenant times and that was established at Genesis, all the way back. That we're actually talking about one covenant that is administered in various ways throughout history. So the New Covenant, you can be a part of the New Covenant, which is the visible administration, the visible community of God's people. And yet not be receiving the salvific benefits of Christ's work and mediatorial work because you don't have faith. Faith is the instrument of justification and of, of, of salvation. If you don't have faith, you're actually not getting, you can be connected to the tree, but there's no life flowing into the branch. So I, I, th I think this might be why Jesus comes and rebukes the, the fig tree that doesn't have any fruit on it. He's saying, you look good, but you don't actually have fruit. Right? There are people in the church who look good, but there's no real fruit, and that's actually a curse. So the covenant establishes the visible, the same covenant establishes the visible and the visible church, but there's two, there's true and false. Right. Because there, there isn't multiple churches. We're talking about the one church that is, has a visible manifestation right now. And so we have to deal with right now, and Scripture tells us, how to deal with the right now administration. Paul says, you have to hold this with fear, lest you be cut off. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did. There are, there are admonishments from Scripture to those in the covenant saying, don't fall away by unbelief. 
Um, he's not talking about losing your salvation or not. He's, he simply means that the covenant has made this visible administration. You can be a part of it, but without faith, it does you no good. Matthew? Yeah, I believe our, our catechisms talk about um, the benefits of being in the visible church um, without, even without faith. I, but I have to go and look. Like, it is still a blessing to be a part of the visible church, even if you don't have faith. It's still good. It's why we want our kids here, right? Because it's good for them, even if they may not have faith, right? Even if they may not yet be regenerate. Um, but we think we're so used to thinking in individualistic terms that I think we lose the corporate aspect of how Scripture talks about the church, that there's a corporate aspect, a corporate community, a corporate covenant community, and you can be a part of that. And in fact, there is ordinarily, there's, outside of that, there is no ordinary means of salvation. It's, it's usually inside of that covenant community that salvation is found. Um, and so our kids get to grow up in this. Right? What a blessing for them. Um, is part of God's grace to them. But we still have to say to our kids and to the whole body, you have to have personal, individual faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe. You can't rely on someone else believing for you. You have to believe. John? Yeah, I, I was just thinking of that passage. I don't remember where it is. Um, but
Yeah, Paul, that verse says, Paul says, all, all were baptized into the Red Sea into Moses, all ate the same spiritual bread and drank from the same rock that was Christ. And, and they fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Yeah. Okay, we're, Charlie, I'm sorry. Is, we're, we're out of time. Um, so I just want to uh, uh, wrap it up super quick. Um, we're going to continue to talk about this topic next week. So if you have more questions, things you want to talk about, we bring those next week. We'll keep talking about it. Um, there's still lots to, lots to unpack in this, but appreciate all of you and your interactions and questions. Um, for, let's pray and uh, get ready to go to worship. Father in heaven, we give you thanks uh, for your faithfulness to us as a people and to us uh, individually. We thank you, God, that you have loved us and you've loved our children, that you have extended the grace of your covenant to all of us. Father, we pray that you would work faith in all of us, that you would grow us, Lord, in, in this maturity towards Christ, that we would come to know you as we drink uh, the spiritual water from Christ, as we eat upon his flesh, as we receive uh, the benefits and the blessings of being united to you. Lord, we pray that you would work this deep in our hearts, that you work the gospel and your promises uh, throughout all of us, in our kids, and our families, and our relationships with each other. Uh, above all, Lord, we ask that your will be done. As we come to worship you, we pray that you would hear our worship and receive it, Lord, that it would be um, uh, pleasing in your sight, and please feed us from your word today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.